0: You, thanks so much for listening to the show. This podcast is sponsored by Made to Move Physical Therapy, and we believe that movement is medicine. If you have been dealing with pain that's preventing you from doing what you love, and if you're looking for a healthcare provider to help you meet your goals, then go to made2movept.com/contact us. That two is the number two. Fill out the form and reference the Healthy Charleston podcast. Listeners get ten percent off their first session. Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. Today, I'm with Stephanie Wimslow, owner of Summit Therapy OT, a private practice occupational therapy clinic focusing on the mind and body connection. Welcome, Stephanie. Happy to be here. Very (laughs) excited to learn more about you and your practice and how you got here. So can we start with what is Summit Therapy OT?
1: So Summit Therapy OT is a private practice that I started that kind of was born out of working in different settings, working in clinical settings, and just kind of feeling like something was missing. Um, I would see a lot of patients for the amount of time that therapy or insurance allotted them. And it just kind of felt like at the end of that, there were still either things we could work on or just things we weren't able to address in the clinical setting. So, um, I really wanted to be able to have the freedom and time to spend a little more time with my clients and also give them more freedom, a little bit more autonomy in the type of therapy they wanted to receive, the type of services they want to receive, um, and kind of take out that, the requirements of a clinical setting.
0: So it sounds like insurance, the typical setting was preventing you from treating the way you wanted to.
1: Yes. To an extent. I mean, I still feel like I was able to provide for those clients, um, but it just, it to me, felt like it was missing something, and I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into
0: that part. What do you feel like it was missing?
1: I think a lot of the mental and emotional aspects. Um, so you mentioned the mind-body connection, and um, I kind of always say you can't treat the body without treating the mind, and sometimes we either forget that part or
0: we're just not aware of it. Yeah. I think when you think about that sentence and you think about like when people say it's all in your head and my first response is always like an eye roll of like, well, if you didn't have a brain, then you wouldn't be alive. It's like, if you have a heart attack and they say it's all in your heart, like it's just (laughs) irrelevant. But also like when we, when we experience pain, when we experience anxiety, or when we experience sadness, something that we often only think about is in the brain, is in the mind. Like, you're feeling it. If you think about it, you you actually are feeling it. You're physically feeling it. Like, what happens when you get anxious?
1: You tense up, you... Heart rate goes up, <laughs> you know,
0: restlessness, Blood like shortness pressure. of breath. Yeah. But then we say, oh, you, you know, you just have anxiety, that's a mental problem. But, like, we're not physical or mental creatures, we're both.
1: Yes, and I always like to tell people, um, I mean, our pain does originate in our brain, that's where the signal is, that's where we're processing it, but that doesn't make it all in your head. The pain is real, the cause of it might just be coming from something different than what you were told or what you expect, So it might not be an injury. It might not be an anatomical issue. It might be that you've had chronic stress for six months, and now your body's kind of feeling the effects of that.
0: It's a tough conversation. Like, do you remember where you were at when you kind of learned, like, pain science?
1: (laughs) To an extent, I think it took experiencing things in my own body in order to kind of understand it Mm -hmm. and want to dive into that more to share that with other people.
0: Yeah. I think there was a big response of like the pendulum swung of like all these therapists started educating their patients really harshly about pain science. And then the patient would walk away feeling like they told me it was all in my head. And I'm like, (laughs) Oh man, we have just really like trashed that one, huh? And it's, It's not saying, again, like you said, you said it beautifully. Like, it's not all in your head. It's just learning more about pain. Because if you understand it a little bit more, I think it's a little less scary.
1: Yes. And I think also it's changing, but there was a little bit of if something hurts, you need to stop doing that. Or completely avoid that movement, which really cascaded into more pain, typically. So kind of taking away that fear of movement and just Mm -hmm. educating on how we can better manage that without you having to stop doing what you want to be doing
0: yeah we have definitely there we have definitely gotten really far into if it hurts it means it's damaged you must stop you must rest it's bad for you mm-hmm. if you if you feel pain doing this it's bad for you and so now i don't know when that belief originated but i'm sure years after that's why we have all of these things of you can't move in that way. Don't move in that way. Don't move in that way. Don't move in that way. I'm like, well, I'm sure someone experienced pain once doing the most perfect quote unquote squat ever. So should we not do that either? Should we just (laughs) not move? And that's sometimes I think
1: what happens. Yep. And really what we're doing with that is like I said, that fear and that anxiety kicks in, which just cascades into more pain and more issues down the road.
0: Mm. So you were in this setting like a, a, typical setting and you felt like something was missing what happened next
1: um i think it kind of started from i mentioned a little bit my own journey into pain relief and anxiety management and things that i found worked for me so i got into yoga and a little more meditation um just mindfulness really so i wanted to be able to incorporate that into my traditional role as an occupational therapist Um, so pretty much I've kind of done a deep dive into that research and we were kind of mentioning before occupational therapy actually started as a mental health profession and sometimes we forget that Um, and just being able to kind of go back to the roots of that I think it's also interesting a lot of these things that we used to think of as woo woo science are now being proven to be real Um, so we have the research behind a lot of these things we just aren't always implementing it Into our practices So I wanted to just Have the freedom to be able to do that And work with people more holistically
0: Yeah What are some of those things that you know Seemed woo woo or whatever that means (laughs) Now we actually do have the research To back it up
1: I think a lot of it is that mindfulness And breathing I mean it just seems so basic But taking time to take intentional breaths Has so many health benefits And we've seen that it kind of like we said when we get riled up and anxious tension heart rate increases blood pressure increases which does lead to a lot of chronic health conditions um but just taking time to slow down and kind of get to know yourself get to take a few deep breaths really has been shown to be effective and it almost seems too simple but it works right
0: yeah (laughs) the science behind meditation and mindfulness now like there is so much of it, and it's this thing that it's like, why isn't everyone doing this? And it's something that we used to just think was like, like you said, woo woo. And if it's always interesting to think about, like, what do we think is woo woo right now? that in ten to twenty years, we're going to learn is really beneficial or really effective. And you, should, like, I, I always struggle back and forth between like being an evidence-based therapist but also, like, leaving the space for woo-woo, like, leaving the space for gray. Because, like, do we always need a ton of clinical trials and systematic reviews to back up what we're doing if it's helping this person? But then there's also the flip side of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, kind of like I mentioned, I think that we're in an interesting time right now because some of that research is coming out for the woo-woo. Mm. Um, But it is, I mean, and that's part of what having a private practice is, is you get to really get to know your client and work with them and see what works for them. Try something that might not be backed up by research, so insurance wouldn't cover it, but it's really working for this person. And now we have the freedom to be able to dive into that Mm -hmm. and kind of see what else it can affect.
0: Yeah, and now they're they're getting relief. They have more space. They have more, like, hope in their life. And the effects of that alone are huge.
1: Yes. A a lot of these things tend to be cascading. Once Mm -hmm. we kind of address a few things, I feel like a lot of other benefits come with it.
0: Like what? Um, So
1: I think, like I said, that mindfulness meditation. So I'm working with someone right now who is going through a bereavement period, and all of a sudden, all these health issues have started coming up for her. So we actually started working together just based off of health issues. Um, She wasn't necessarily aware of where they were coming from, but we started talking about her goals and just being able to kind of dive a little bit deeper with her is when she opened up to me about some of those stressors she had going on in her life and how it was causing her to not sleep very well. So now she's tired during the day. So she's not doing as much. She's losing strength. Mm-hmm. Um, she's losing some social connection, things like that. Whereas if we hadn't asked the right questions, we would just be doing like endurance exercises. Does that yeah. make sense? Versus now we can kind of dive into where it's coming from, start to address the sleep issues, mm-hmm. the anxiety management which I think will in turn just naturally increase her endurance because she's going to feel better and do more.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, so like you mentioned, if you didn't ask the right questions, but like what if you didn't have time to write, to even ask questions?
1: Right. So that's kind of, again, what led me into this. Um, And some of the questions that I like to go through on intake are questions people have never been asked before Ooh, like what? or oh, <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> it's just Western medicine. We don't think about these things. So one of my intake questions is what do you feel like you need to heal? Mm, yeah. It's always kind of everyone freezes when I ask them that because they've never been asked that before and they have no idea. They're expecting yeah. me to tell them what they need, but I want to know what they need. A lot of times they almost kind of write their own treatment plan without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And then I can guide them along the way. Yep. provide that extra education and motivation and everything but really it came from
0: them a lot of people really do know what they need i've what do people what's like the most common response to that question
1: <laughs> why don't you tell me
0: <laughs> right like, well that's what i'm here for right <laughs> like, well i i can't see your pain Mm-hmm. And so why why would you expect me to know that if you don't tell me?
1: Yes. I can provide recommendations. I can tell you what I think, but until yeah. I hear it from you, I'm not going to know.
0: Yeah. It, I think it really requires like knowing them on a deeper level than what the tr- traditional medical system allows. Yes. And that's why we need more time.
1: Yep. And again, they might never have thought that. So they don't know. At yeah. least, but just asking the question, giving them time, it's not something I need an answer right now. Mm-hmm. Um but a lot of times then they'll start to ask those questions to themselves, too.
0: Heck yes. It like starts giving them the control back.
1: Yes. And another thing I always say about, um, I mean, the medical system in general, but a lot of times with therapy, so with occupational therapy in a hospital, I go in and I say, I'm here to help get you dressed, get you bathed, get you toileting, um, and that's my role. So why would they ask me about chronic pain. Why would they ask me about, oh, I've been really anxious recently. So just kind of opening up the door to meeting being a resource for them that they can share these things. Um, sometimes they're going through some really personal stuff or have really personal questions and they just don't know who to ask.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I might not know the answer, but I can be kind of the starting point to guide them where they need to be.
0: Yeah. It's like there, there's always stuff that comes up once they realize that you think it's relevant. Because they don't, a lot of people just don't think that those things are relevant. And also I think you're used to just answering the questions and trying to fill out the paperwork and and be as quick as possible. I had a patient who had been dealing with some sort of pain. And when we dove deeper into it, I mentioned the word stress. I was just explaining the way that humans respond to stress and adapt to stress. And she was like, you know what, that's interesting. She told me this really big stressful thing going on in her life. And we were just like, oh, you know, like we we almost missed that just because she didn't think it was relevant. And it's not to say that like, oh, just because you're experiencing that is why you're having hip pain. Mm -hmm. But I think if we don't ask those questions, we don't have the full picture. And when you give people space to just tell you what's on their mind and what's going on in their lives, it allows you, it allows us to do our job.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's all related. Yeah, Like we kind of mentioned before, you can't separate the physical from the mental. We are whole people and everything's going to blend together. So we need to look at and have the opportunity to look at their whole situation, um, including environment too, which is mm-hmm. I think something we miss sometimes too. In therapy, we have the biopsychosocial model. So mm-hmm. we're looking at the body. We're not discounting that, but we're also looking at the environment, the activities, the social situation, um, what's going on mentally, all that stuff is included.
0: Yeah. What drew you to OT originally? I want to like walk down this path with you. How did all that start? Um,
1: So I always kind of knew I wanted to work with people. And as I've always animals or plants, yes, or like a business job gotcha, or
0: okay. the numbers data. I'm,
1: yes, yeah. no, I'm definitely more of an out in the world mover, um, and I enjoy working with people. I enjoy talking to people, so that's where it started. And I also love being creative. So I can't remember if I told you I actually started as a fine arts major in college. Yeah. Um, because that's just what I really like to do, but kind of discovered that wasn't going to be my life or my passion. And started doing some digging and found occupational therapy, which I think is an awesome combination of the science and the creative. Um, it really is meant to be a holistic profession, and that's originally what drew it to me. Me too. Yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah. either way. Right. Yeah, works. right. <laughs> so you pursued occupational therapy, and then... It sounds like you were working somewhere, feeling like something was missing. You threw around the words like biopsychosocial. We talked a little bit about pain. Your own experiences, what drew you to start learning more than maybe we typically learn?
1: Um, I think it was personal at first. So I mentioned... I didn't have a lot of awareness of myself growing up. It wasn't something that we talked about a lot. Um, and I had a lot of anxiety, and I had a lot of chronic pain. So I had hip pain starting from when I was around 11. And I'd been to chiropractors. I'd been to physical therapists. I'd seen doctors. And no one could really tell me what it was. I kind of got, like, IT band syndrome thrown around. All the syndromes. Bursitis and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right. Um, and then it wasn't until actually in grad school and kind of approaching out of grad school that I started doing yoga and it was just kind of like a mind opening experience and I wasn't doing it to control my pain by any means it was just like a a new thing I was trying and I started liking it and then all of a sudden I realized I was calmer and I was able to live a little more authentically I got to know myself a little bit better and then without really realizing it a lot of that pain was gone. Um, so it was just kind of dumb, like, why did that happen? Where did that come from? And I am kind of science motivated, mm-hmm. so I wanted to know the why. yeah, um, I wanted there to be a reason,
0: <laughs> like a very scientific reason of you did this move, and that move felt yes. good. And, then,
1: yeah. <laughs> and it has grown from that a little bit. it's not yeah. that's not how it always works, but that's where it started.
0: <laughs> yeah it's what we were talking about before, act um it sounds like. When you made the decision to pursue yoga, it wasn't to control or get rid of your pain. And I think people really get in this like stuck loop of trying to control and get rid of these sensations or feelings, and then what does that usually do?
1: When we become hyper-focused on it, and it increases our pain, increases our awareness of the pain, and the perceived pain goes up.
0: <laughs> it gets worse, yeah. And But you chose, you took an action based on just, something else that you cared about like something that was valuable and through that like learned a lot and I think it's just cool to see how that framework like actually really applied to your life this framework that like we preach all the time of just take actions based on your values let's start adding in a walk you know let's start adding in hanging out with your kids again and I think a lot of times people think you have to get rid of the pain before you add these things into your life and um I just... You know, it's just not... It's not the case. When did you first learn the term biopsychosocial?
1: In school. Really? Um, Yeah. We did, actually. So, we go over a lot of the different, like, frameworks. Um, But, again, it's kind of one of those things. I had it in the back of my mind, but it wasn't something that came up in my clinical practice ever. I mean, we do... When you see someone, you always ask them, what matters to you? What's important to you? What do you want to be able to do? What are your goals? But then I kind of found that we were still just doing exercises and we were still just doing kind of the more mechanical type approaches Mm -hmm. without really being able to dive into that meaning for them, which not everybody buys into, first of all. So I have a person I'm working with right now who... She was hesitant to start working with me because she said, I don't like to do exercise. I don't want to do exercise, mm. but she wants to get stronger. And I said, well, that's, that's fine. I'm here to work with you. I'm not going to force you to do bicep curls by any means. <laughs> but what we do is we'll go downstairs and play games or we'll, even to get to where we're going, we walk there mm. and things like that. And it's just slowly starting to build up her endurance and her strength without it being a workout. A workout. Um, so it's just kind of being flexible with people. Oh yeah. Listening to them. That's the biggest thing. (laughs) What do they want and how can we facilitate that?
0: Yeah. That was like, leads me into my next question. You work with a lot of people one-on-one, right? Yes. What does that process look like?
1: It really varies. Um, like I said, the first session, I'm all about what do you want? What do you think? Where are you in this whole process? And we kind of go from there, so it kind—I mean, I hate to say—can look like anything, but it can kind of look like anything. It depends, right? Yes, yeah. it really depends. And if someone's saying like, "I want to see you five days a week for an hour," that's not necessarily going to be super helpful for them. So I do kind of use clinical judgment on how much I think that they're going to need, but we come to an agreement together on what's appropriate, and then just keep reassessing as we go along and. We can take a break and come back, or we can see each other less often, or kind of whatever they need.
0: It really puts the patient in the driver's seat. Yes, it it, it turns the patient into the client. And I, I we're always kind of like, do we use the word patient? Do we use mm-hmm. the word client? And like, I honestly don't know the right answer. I think we use both because client really does signify that like you are taking control. It's your decision. You're hiring someone to help you do this. And I think patient implies that you are, there's just some sort of, like, force or I don't even want to say victim, but, like, you're not a part of this process. And I think what sounds like you preach a lot is, like, you can take control, you are capable, you are the driver of this process. And it sounds like you, Stephanie, are, you have the map, and you're telling them where to go and how to get there. And when they run into a detour, you're helping them figure out how to go around it.
1: Yes, and I think we had mentioned before a little bit that in our medical system, that's not always the case. We're kind of told you need to go see the doctor, and the doctor's going to fix you, and you need to take this pill or get this surgery, and then you're going to be fixed. And you walk away from that, and it may or may not long-term solve your problem, short-term, whatever. Um, But we don't really give people the power over that a lot of times, and I think that's really important
0: yeah how do we start how do we do that how do we do a better job of that
1: Um, I think it starts with just awareness and also being able to ask the right questions Um, letting educating people on what their role is in therapy educating people on their autonomy on themselves on even getting to know themselves sometimes they don't know What's wrong? They don't know why they're there to see you. They just know something hurts. Mm. Um, So I think a lot of it is, again, without telling them it's all in your head, but saying there might be a different reason for this. Let's explore it Mm. and just kind of going into that. um, Yeah, I think a lot of it is just asking the right questions, knowing what questions to ask.
0: Yeah, I think all of that is like, ultimately very ideal. I think a lot of people don't choose that because it's a harder option. Like, deep work or the process, it is a harder option than what we have traditionally been sold, which is a fix, a quick fix, or even just a fix of, like, I'm giving this to you to fix your problems. And it's it's hard because I think a lot of people view therapy as that, And then you have to, like, manage expectations but also set clear expectations and, you know, preframe the process of that's not actually how it's going to work. This is very much a process. This is is long-term. We're in this for the long game.
1: Yes, and I think sometimes it does take some time and education with your clients to get them there, too, because it's just not a mindset they're used to. Mm. So sometimes I'll have clients that will tell me no I just want the like I just want the normal stuff just give it to just me it the
0: standard package. <laughs> yes and I'm like
1: I I hear where you're coming from and I understand and we kind of start there but as we go along I find you can normally kind of integrate a few of these concepts in and once they see it work mm-hmm. then they're a little more open to going a little deeper down that <laughs> path. The package yeah sometimes you have to sneak it in a little bit
0: <laughs> what is what would you say like is considered normal like, what do they expect
1: I think like you said the quick fix mm-hmm. like the they show up they don't have to do any thinking they don't have to do any processing I just tell them what to do and they do it and then at the end of it they feel better um which might work short term but I feel like a lot of times the people that we're starting to see that want this type of therapy are people that have tried that before and it didn't last or it wasn't a long-term solution and now they're saying, oh. Maybe I do need to do a little bit more Mm. of my own reflection or take a little bit more control in this in order to get the outcome that I want.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. But a lot of clients, like, they've tried other things. It didn't work. You know, like how they get to to this type. I I don't even want to call it a type because to me, like, this is normal. This is how it should be. But obviously, you know, super biased in that. But a lot of people come to this because they've tried a lot of other things it's just like when people are trying to lose weight and they try a bunch of fads they try a bunch of restriction they try I don't know there's so many things out there and then they're like okay I realize these things don't work I actually do need to find something that does work now yes and I think that's a lot of times what leads them when we ask the question like what do you think would help they're like, I don't know, i have tried everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, okay, I see why you're here. Yeah, and <laughs> that's again, see. where we can give
1: them the map and <laughs> kind of yeah. help them get where they need to go. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Speaking of maps, we talked a little <laughs> earlier um, about something that you did in your recent workshop. I want to dive into the nervous system, mapping of the nervous system. You mentioned something before, nervous system regulation, um, polyvagal theory, all those things that I know that you'd like to talk about. Where should we start?
1: Um, Well, I guess we can kind of do a broad overview of where this mapping came from. Um, It is based off of polyvagal theory. So it's essentially just an awareness of your nervous system. So we know that our nervous system goes through different states. Most people have probably heard sympathetic and parasympathetic. We're learning it's a little more complicated than that, but that's still a general overview. So we talked about when you're in that sympathetic state how it affects you physically your heart rate goes up your muscles tense blood pressure goes up all of that so being able to map out the nervous system and take a look at what each state looks for you looks like for you what gets you in that state and how we can maybe get out of that state really brings a lot of that autonomy and that power back to that person to be able to increase awareness, and kind of use those regulatory techniques on a daily basis.
0: It's now like giving them education and giving them tools.
1: Pretty much. Um, And a lot of things, I know I had mentioned to you before, I was working with somebody who knew all about this and kind of had a general idea of it, but until we sat down and did the mapping exercise and she looked at it on a piece of paper, she hadn't made some of these connections between... The nervous, the state her nervous system was in, and her pain levels. So I think just writing it down, arts and crafts style sometimes. Yeah, it's finance major um, right here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I brought all my colored markers, everything. Yeah, you um, <laughs> Are you like the
0: super color-coded, organized planner girl? I try to be. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's always that girl. In I'm my, always jealous of her. In
1: my heart, I want to be, but yes. it doesn't always come out that
0: way. <laughs> <laughs> A little more abstract than that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like getting her to... It sounds like she noticed that when she was feeling this, she was also feeling that. Yes. Was she surprised?
1: She was. I mean, she knew. Like somewhere in her mind she knew and objectively she was able to say, oh, I know these two things are linked together. She just wasn't seeing it in her own life. Hmm. And that's one thing that's really cool about the mapping exercise too is it puts you in an observer's point of view. So you're not living it, you're looking at it. And that can help us see things a lot more clearly.
0: How do we do a better job of that? I think sometimes we're so we're so stuck and like our our thoughts and feelings are are 100% true and we're kind of like fixed to them
1: um i think it kind of starts with i keep coming back to awareness yeah. but just recognizing that there are things we can do i think a lot of times we feel like we're just kind of at the mercy of our emotions yeah but really we have to i mean if we have the tools we can manage that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's giving people the tools that they need. And I'm, I always try to make sure to say, like, one state isn't good and one state isn't bad. Nothing is good or bad. It's just the awareness of it. So recognizing how you're feeling. So saying, I feel like I am getting really stressed out right now, knowing that when I am very busy or I have too many things on my plate, it's going to lead me to feel stressed. When I am stressed, this happens to me. I get irritable, I get tired, I am unmotivated. So mapping all that out. And then after you have that down, kind of going through your regulatory resources. So when I'm in that state and I'm recognizing that state, what can I do to help myself get out of it? And I think that you need to be in kind of a a calm state of mind in order to do that. Like when you're in the heat of the moment, isn't the time to be thinking... What do I need to regulate?
0: I wish it happened like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. But if you ha- kind of have it all written down, and again, you'll start to recognize your triggers and say, okay, I know that when this happens, I'm going to start feeling really bad. So maybe skipping that middle step and saying, if I go for a walk right now, I know it's going to calm me down. Mm. Those kind of things.
0: This is a very timely conversation for me. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> what are some of those like what are some tools what are some regulatory resources that we have
1: it's going to be different for everybody but i think there are some kind of overall suggestions that sometimes i'll even give people to try and see if it works for them Um, i know we mentioned the polyvagal theory so the vagus nerve has been a hot topic recently and stimulating the vagus nerve being a parasympathetic activator so if we can Get that vagus nerve online. It actually triggers that parasympathetic state, that resting, calm state. And there are some, again, some work, some don't. Um, but one of the best ones is deep breathing. So there's a lot of science behind it. I don't know how deep we want to go into the science nerdy stuff. I love the nerdy um, stuff. <laughs> so the vagus nerve... It pretty much goes everywhere in the body. Um, All of our systems are connected through it, but it runs through your diaphragm. So when you are doing the diaphragmatic breathing, so that deep belly breathing, you're activating that vagus nerve and thus activating the parasympathetic system. Another interesting thing, I think you and I have talked about it before, is one of the kind of deep core muscles that um, connects to your spine and attaches to your inner thighs, your psoas, the tendons of it also overlap your diaphragm. So when we get stressed out, the psoas is ranked as second in emotional reactivity only to the heart. And that's because traditionally, when we would get sympathetic activation, the instinct is to crouch. And that is essentially our crouching muscle. So that holds and stores a lot of that stress. Since it is also overlapping the diaphragm, a good way that we can release it is diaphragmatic breathing. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, if the psoas is tight, it limits our ability to use our diaphragm, which forces us into the chest breathing, which automatically signals to our body that we're in a stress state. Crouch mode. Yes, so a long way of saying that Kind of all of that cascades. It's a whole feedback loop tied together. Um, and awareness of that can kind of, again, give you those tools, give you insight in how to get yourself out of that system.
0: It, yeah, exactly. It, the awareness. Like, I know you're like, oh, I keep saying it, but I, I really I get it. I think that's huge. Of just like, if you can you know, look at yourself from above, have an out of body experience and, <laughs> and say like, okay, I'm behaving like this. I look crouch, I feel tense. What's going on here? Why do I feel like this? Like what potentially triggered me to feel like this? And I think like a lot of, it seems like a lot of the, the common like philosophy is, oh, you should just be able to pause and be calm and reflect and then make an action based on the values that you have in the moment. (laughs) I'm like, well, I have two seconds before I'm going to explode or start crying. (laughs) And so I think, like, give yourself some grace a little bit if you are – but have a practice where you are reflecting and you're looking back. How did I behave in that moment? Like, being aware doesn't always have to happen in the moment, but I think if you're – you're focusing on being intentional and you're focusing on being aware, you have this regular practice of like looking back and seeing how you're, you're doing, then you can start to make the changes for the next time and just be a little bit more prepared. But it's hard.
1: It's hard. And I think it also needs to be said, like all of this, you, we try to do it without judgment
0: mm-hmm. towards
1: yourself. So if you did explode in that moment, that is what you needed. And that not, wasn't necessarily a bad response, But if you're looking back at it and you say, I exploded at my loved one and I wish I didn't do that, Mm -hmm. then you can say, oh, next time I feel that way and I know I'm going to explode, I'm going to put myself in a room by myself and then explode. And that's fine.
0: You know, Put myself in the shower and then scream.
1: Right. Or if you need to cry and it's just, you didn't want to do it where you did it. You know, it's just the awareness. So like you can start to predict what's going to happen a little bit and prepare for it.
0: Yeah. And like use those feelings and your actions as more like gathering data and signals it's the same thing with pain like we often think oh well, pain is bad avoid pain bad 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 but just like be curious about it like what could this yeah. potentially be telling you it's the same thing with stress like it's neither good or bad it's the amount it's the dosage whatever it's i always use my banana bread analogy if it's not <laughs> like if i use 12 eggs in the banana bread i'm gonna get an omelet but it wasn't the egg it was the amount of egg and I think when we assign labels or, like, when you said when we judge ourselves of, like, well, this behavior is bad, this behavior is good, well, th- they're both serving you for some reason, but I think the short-term effects and the long-term effects often um, contradict. Like, it feels really good to explode, a- <laughs> to explode at someone you're mad. Yes. Short-term, you feel great. Long-term, you don't feel so hot. You feel like you know you exploded in a loved one. It doesn't align with your values. You're not showing up the way that you want to. But how do we start being more aware?
1: Um, I mean that's a good question. <laughs> Tell us all the secrets. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot. I mean, not to come back to that mapping exercise again. And you don't have to write it down. I just find that it's helpful. But just start noticing, paying attention again from that outsider's perspective. Observe it. So instead of Using that self-critical voice, like you said, get curious about it. Say, oh, I did this. Why? Or even sometimes um, I'll have people name that emotion. So Mm. they're feeling something. I say, what is it? Give it a name. Like, oh, this is anxiety. And even right when you say that, it almost kind of like separates you from it. Like, I am not anxiety. That is anxiety. And I'm feeling it right now. Mm. So creating a little bit of a separation um, between you and your emotions, there's this whole... Science on you are not your emotions. You are the thing observing your emotions. Oh, honey. I mentioned that earlier. You're going to
0: love it when you dive into it. Yes. Like, I am the sky and the thoughts are the clouds.
1: Yes, pretty much. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard to separate yourself from the emotions. And it takes practice. And one thing I always like to say. So, again, sympathetic and parasympathetic are not bad or good. Each of them serves you in a moment. But what we're finding is... Same as strengthening a muscle that our nerves have tone. So when we use one more than the other, we default to that state more easily. So people who have like meditation practices or people who have Mm -hmm. done this type of work to get themselves into a parasympathetic state, they've shown that their time from a sympathetic activation back to calm is a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's not that that sympathetic was bad. It's just if we have it for a long time for no reason, that's when it becomes a problem. So being able to get yourself out of that and back into a more neutral, calm state. And another thing I always like to say is parasympathetic is called the rest and digest system, just kind of as a little cute nickname. But it doesn't necessarily mean, like, tired so I've had people say like, oh, when I do these vagal nerve stimulations, I actually feel more awake. Like, what is that doing? And parasympathetic is kind of like you feel like everything is okay. It's not even that everything's good, not everything's not perfect, but you feel like you're able to manage it. And that's kind of what that parasympathetic state is. So it's not just the sleeping.
0: You're not threatened.
1: Yes, exactly. And you feel like you have the tools that you need to manage anything that comes up.
0: Yeah, it's, it makes so much sense. It's like you're training your brain. It's a skill now. And if you never practice that skill, like if I never do bicep curls, I'm not going to be very good at bicep curls. Exactly. It's just like people who, which I'm sure most of us, like we spend all day in this position. It's not a bad position, but if I want to have access to this position then I have to spend time in it. I have to train it. Mm-hmm. And I also have to get comfortable with it. And I think sometimes you know, slowing down, calming down is very uncomfortable. Like, this is a lifestyle change for a lot of people.
1: This is a huge lifestyle change. It was for me. I was the person who left before Shavasana at the end of a yoga class. No! Yes, because I couldn't I couldn't oh, wow. sit there yeah. in that space. It just It would kick up my sympathetic nervous system, and I would get so anxious about just sitting still. So it took a lot, and it took kind of some, I don't want to say like force, like I needed to look at a few things and figure out why I was feeling so anxious all the time because it was affecting my life. So I really had to practice. And it's one of those things where if you're really not used to doing it I'm not going to put you in a 10 minute meditation mm-hmm. you know we're going to do three deep breaths mm-hmm. and then we're going to do something else yeah so it's building up to it I mean the same as a bicep curl you're not going to go pick up an 100 pound dumbbell
0: hey speak for yourselves and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: well I certainly cannot
0: no I can't either no the 15s can be hard sometimes yes <laughs> that's a great way to put it you're right like it is it is still a new We. it's it's calming Sure, um, but it's still a new stimulus. It's still something you have to get better at and get used to. You're not going to go just learn how to... In in learning how to run, go run a marathon. That's not what we're going to do. So it's this all or nothing like, oh, I'm going to go meditate for 30 minutes. I'm going to go to five yoga classes a week. If you can sustain that, amazing. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) It sounds like what you're talking about a lot is psychological flexibility.
1: Yes, and that's a word I use a lot too Is the resiliency So mm-hmm. it's being resilient To these shift changes It's not I'm calm all the time, nothing ever bothers mm-hmm. me It's that when something do- does bother me I have the tools I need to handle it In a way that feels authentic to me And that mm-hmm. I wanted to respond with Versus the more emotional Outbursts that then we kind of have shame And we tell ourselves this story of like Oh, I'm bad, I did that bad mm-hmm. You know, um so yeah, it's just gaining that resiliency and that strength in your nervous system, same as you would in your muscles.
0: Yeah. You you mentioned doing some digging. And I think that like anytime you make a lifestyle change it requires some digging. But sometimes personally I get overwhelmed by the digging of like the potential identity crisis. Not sure <laughs> what the answer is. What are my values like what advice would you give to someone or what tools can you give to someone who just is struggling with like figuring out who they want to be or what they want?
1: It's a lot of really pushing that non judgment and that observer mindset. I mean, kind of like we said, if you have never done this look at yourself, we are hustle culture. We move, move, move all the time. So we're not provided the opportunity to just sit for a while. And when, Someone asks us to do that and take a look at ourselves. It can bring up a lot of things that we just suppressed and haven't really worked through from a lifetime of situations. Um, So I think, one, learning how to be kind to yourself, which, again, is easier said than done. We tend to be our harshest critics. (laughs) And, I mean, this is a huge lifelong practice. This Mm -hmm. isn't in... Six weeks, we're going to have you good to go. Day program. Yeah. <laughs> now you're kind to yourself. Yay, and... <laughs>
0: you're aware. You're pursuing your purpose. <laughs> yes. I would sign up for that. Right.
1: <laughs> so it's baby steps, you yeah. know. And there are a few exercises that I have that, if people are interested in them, it is just like value finding what matters to you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need prompts for that. And as you kind of align with those types of things and really just. Start to answer those questions for yourself. I feel like the rest of it follows. Um, But it comes... It starts with just an acceptance and a kindness to yourself.
0: It starts with slowing down, too. The hustle culture, you're right? So real of there's no time to think or feel or breathe. And so then there's a lot of, I find, cognitive dissonance. And you don't really understand why unless you stop.
1: Yes, unless you've taken the time to recognize what matters to you, Mm -hmm. what you enjoy doing. I actually saw someone posted on um, Facebook, I think, the other day, this thing that I thought was so interesting. She was saying how she was a stay-at-home mom, and every time her husband would come home, the first thing that came out of her mouth was what she accomplished that day. She's like, oh, I did this, 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 Mm -hmm. and this, because it felt like that was the way he was going to value her time if that made sense so she kind of started to notice that and observe it and she said he doesn't he doesn't care like not that he doesn't care but yeah. he's not like what did you accomplish today yeah. that matters to him you know yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> so she's like I started telling him like oh this morning I had a really good conversation with our son or this morning yeah. I did a 10-minute meditation or just things that were more Valuable to her that actually mattered to her, and then sharing them like she would these, I mean, "quote unquote" productive. productive tasks. They are productive, yeah, but we just don't always value them.
0: We really value productivity in our society, yes. And like, I'm sure you've heard it, but we're human beings, not human doings. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's hard to be like, yeah, I, I just chilled this morning. I had a chill morning. Like, there's almost some guilt. Personally, in that, and like, what have you been doing today? And it's like, oh, you haven't been working, you haven't been like crushing yourself. And we, I think, we really value crushing ourselves.
1: We do, and I think that's one of those things where, um, when I feel like I need to justify my time to someone else, looking back at myself and saying, why, mm. why do I feel like I need to do that? And it's because I want them to see me as someone worthwhile someone worthy someone you know so it's kind of like getting back to that root cause of where this is coming from and societally we have just driven this so hard into people that sometimes it's hard to separate from but it can be interesting too to read about other cultures and kind of Mm -hmm. see what they value and how different it is from ours just to see that like this isn't the only way
0: i'm so intrigued every time like talking about other cultures and their their health (laughs) and what how they approach healthcare differently.
1: Yes. There are a lot of cultures that value that rest, value that authentic, genuine you time in a way that we don't always.
0: Where can we go and get that? What other cultures?
1: (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think a lot of Eastern cultures are that way. Um, If you kind of dive into like the origin of yoga and all those kind of things Mm. and get more into those teachings, we see that a lot. And again, it's not, I think sometimes we think it's like someone sitting in crisscross applesauce meditating for six hours a day. It's not. It's a normal life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you're still getting stress and you're still having these situations. It's just the way that you're responding to them is different and the way you value them is different. It's
0: like, why are we going so fast? What are we going so fast for? (laughs) We had, so Kayla, one of our PTs, went to Portugal for her honeymoon and she noticed that in coffee shops, they don't give to-go cups. You, ha- you have to sit there and you have to enjoy your coffee. And it's not like it's a law. It's just their culture. And it's like Spain, you have this lunch and you have the siesta. And then I don't really know if you go back to work after that. And then you eat late and it's just like there's, there's less urgency. And, like, I'm sure someone listening to this is going to talk about their economy and, like, whatever. I think that's a different value. Yes. <laughs> it's just there's less you're not feeling every hour you're experiencing every hour
1: yes a lot of cultures too in times that I've traveled originally this irritated me like I found myself getting frustrated Yeah. but they do not bring you a bill at dinner They you stay there mm-hmm. until you ask for it whereas here the moment your food comes out sometimes they're like okay no rush but here's your <laughs> bill you have
0: an hour <laughs> and a half here yes
1: yeah you're right so it's kind of we're Go, go, go. And it takes... It can be frustrating to slow down. It can. But just kind of finding the value in that and why that matters.
0: Yeah. How does all of this, especially, like, when you... All of this. I'm not even going to leave it. How does all this relate to pain? So, a lot of this,
1: like we were talking about, when you're in that stress state, your body goes into that fight-or-flight mode and it's ready to run or attack. So that's not problematic when there's a reason. But what we found is we're spending a lot of our day in that stress state. And it's because of non, not non-real threats, but non life-threatening.
0: There's not a tiger chasing us.
1: Right. So we're stressed out at work. We're in fight or flight Mm -hmm. all day long. We go home and maybe we do numbing activities because it was so stressful. Then we go to bed and we do it again. So just that constant state of being on really takes a toll on our body. Um, I don't remember if we mentioned already, but new research is showing 85, up to 85% of medical conditions, just strict medical conditions, are caused by stress. So it's affecting us more than we realize.
0: What you said about numbing activities, things that people think they're resting, it's like what would the, that, that like, hey, hard, what do those mean? <laughs> What do you mean by,
1: like, a numbing activity? Um, I would say that after a day of being on, we're trying to turn off in some way. Mm -hmm. Uh, That can either be, like, through food, through alcohol, through scrolling TikTok, Mm. through... Yeah,
0: that's it. That's the one. (laughs) Yeah? No, I do
1: it, too. And, I mean, it it works, but just pay attention to how you feel after it. Like, did that fulfill me? Was that something that I felt was valued? And maybe it is. Maybe... An hour of sitting there and just mindlessly scrolling mm-hmm. is useful, and there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just if you find yourself constantly trying to numb yourself from how you're feeling, might be a good idea to sort of think why.
0: So it's, is it the problem that we're we're so on that we're looking for ways to turn off?
1: I think to an extent, Um, and I think a lot of times those are easy offs, too. Mm -hmm. So rather than looking at where all this stress is coming from and doing kind of a more intense look, we just kind of turn it off.
0: And, like, watch Parks and Rec for three hours. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, at what point does that, like you said, does that not fulfill some other need that you need, but you're, like, you're not spending time with family, or you're not getting fulfilled. You're not doing something that you're passionate or like feeling joy from because you're just so dead that you have to just be off. Yes. And, um, I think this is where like
1: setting your own goals and realizing what's important to you and kind of connecting to that can help guide you in those activities. Mm -hmm. So if my goal is X is scrolling TikTok, helping me reach that goal, you know, yeah, and maybe Um, But if it's not, then we can kind of readjust and see what would.
0: Yeah. It's like instead of... We're just choosing numbing activities that we think we're resting, but we're not really participating. Like we're not... I don't... We're not achieving that like rest maybe to some extent. But it's like when people just think resting is to sleep. And we're choosing things a lot of the times. Like if you think about the typical show that shows someone goes to work all day they're super super stressed they come home they sit on the couch and they just stare and then they go to bed and they do it again 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 like you're still not filling that restful time with things that fill your cup you're just now like turning off the cup for the night yeah you know what, i'm trying to like figure out how to explain it yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah and um kind of coming back to that map idea so when we go through the map So sympathetic is in the middle, and then on either side, we actually have two different vagal states. So our ventral vagal state is that, like, happy, calm, um, feeling like everything's okay, feeling confident, feeling connected. But on the flip side of that, there's a dorsal vagal state that's actually kind of a collapse state. So it's when you've been in sympathetic for Mm. so long that you just kind of collapse and turn off, and... That's where I think a lot of those numbing behaviors are happening. Um, but I always like to emphasize, like, we don't define health as the absence of disease. It's also yeah. the presence of these positives. So, yeah, don't, going into that dorsal vagal kind of collapsed state could be, cal- not calming, but a little restful. But just the absence of the bad mm-hmm. doesn't mean good. Yeah. So searching for those good. And that's why when you go through the map and you identify, they call them triggers and glimmers. Mm-hmm. So what triggers you into those states versus glimmers? What brings you into that ventral vagal state? So once you kind of identify those glimmers, you can see, am I getting those in my day? Mm. Or am I just completely missing that part?
0: Yeah. Or am I just trying to take away triggers? Yes. Yeah. It's, um like we, you talked earlier about like the values based figuring out your values like why didn't we do that in like ninth grade p yeah. <laughs> or like in college it was yep. never like let's figure out who you are and like what you want in life knowing that that's going to change probably a million times but there a lot of this like work I think it gets harder and harder like the more that you push it off because you just keep adding layers of like, well this is what I've always done, this is who I think that I am, this is how it should work, and like peeling back those layers is is effortful. But what you said about like we collapse, I think that's like often, you know, we use weekends as a way to like collapse, not as a way to add to our life. So when did when did you graduate a T school? Two thousand seventeen. Okay. Oh, saying For PT school. So, I am biased, but I do think that a lot more people, a lot more students, especially in the therapy professions, feel this way. Of health is not the absence of disease. So, but it's really hard to find a health career that allows you to actually chase health and not the absence of disease.
1: Yes, and that is partially why I started this practice. As I was looking for jobs, I wasn't finding them that were allowing me to kind of pursue this part of therapy. Um, And I think a lot of that is insurance-driven, but it's very much like you have to get your productivity rates and that's it. And it doesn't necessarily matter. They're not looking at the type of therapy you're providing. They just want your minutes. Mm. So I think that... I'm hoping that there is a change, a culture change happening right now, not just in therapy, but more and more I'm seeing this kind of stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think more education is happening. Um, but again, if more and more of us are starting our own things and kind of growing this mindset or growing these practices, then hopefully we can just keep building and keep bringing people on and, this will become the norm.
0: Yeah, that would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What would you say to any student or healthcare professional or therapist that wants a career where they get to actually pursue health?
1: Ask for it. Um, I think that especially in these fields where we went to so much school for them, we've kind of been in school since...
0: Oh my God, it's five. Forever.
1: Yeah. And you just do what you're supposed to do and you follow the rules. And I mean, this is how I was. It wasn't until after grad school that a lot of these things started shifting for me because my whole life was routine. I knew what I needed to do and I was accomplishing them. So I felt good. But then after school, I was like, oh, this is all on me now. And I'm not necessarily feeling that sense of accomplishment that I was before. And that's kind of when I started looking at the work I was doing and what it was missing. Um, So I think it's, I mean, same as I would tell a client, recognizing what matters to you and going through some of these exercises just to connect with what type of work you want to do, what makes you feel good. Because that's, I think, where we get that magic. The glimmer. The glimmer, where if you're doing something that you really like, your clients are going to see that and they're going to want to work with you. Versus if you're just going to work every day and going through the motions and, I mean, not... You're not getting a. You're not getting a lot out of it, and they might not be getting a lot out of yeah. it. So just kind of finding what matters to you. Do your own map, and <laughs>
0: there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what matters to you? Like what? What do you feel joy in? What do you feel alive in? What are you good at? Not just what you think you should. Do.
1: Yes, and that I think was a huge mindset shift <clears throat> for me because I had always done the what should I do mm-hmm. to get you to the next step. Yep. And, then, terrible lives have been. yep. and then you graduate and you're like, Oh, there's no <laughs> more steps. There's no more steps. Yeah. <laughs> and I even did start going to all these certification classes and I said, yeah. like, I can keep making steps. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll just make them up.
1: Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily getting me where I wanted to go.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, because of school, I still like view things in semesters. Like right now we're in summer semester. You we were in semester <laughs> a few weeks ago and like, we're just so conditioned because the majority of our lives have been in school, mm-hmm. and it's really nice to an extent. Like everything's planned out for you; you just do what you're told, <laughs> you just keep going. You know, you do well at this school to get good, like to this school, and then at some point, it's like, oh shoot! Like now I'm just like looking at this big empty ocean, <laughs> and it can be overwhelming. It's like it's powerful. There's a lot of choice, but there's also a lot of like overwhelming responsibility. When you realize that you want more.
1: Yes. And it's hard. And I think the easier route is to just keep along that path. I mean, you can live your life that way and that's fine. And if you identify that that fulfills you, yeah. and that's awesome. But I think a lot of us are wanting a little bit more, both professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like I said, that culture shift is starting to happen and I'm hoping it keeps growing.
0: Yeah, for sure. So for clients. People that are interested in working with you. First, like, what are some some common things that people come to you with?
1: I would say typically I'm getting a lot of again, quote unquote, traditional needs. So, coming out of the hospital and having decreased strength, decreased endurance. That's kind of where it starts mm-hmm. and I'm hoping to kind of increase the awareness that that doesn't have to be like you don't have to be in a state where you need that mm-hmm. to come see me. Um, we also can do a lot of preventative stuff or even just lifestyle management. Mm -hmm. If you're struggling with some of this and you feel like some of this mindset work along with, I mean, occupational therapy works on, we call them occupations, which is a bit of a misnomer, but it's anything you need to do in the day. Mm -hmm. So if you're having a hard time doing anything, we can work on that. Um,
0: yeah, (laughs) I took a tangent and then kind of forgot where I was going. (laughs) It's, um, it's funny because, like, when you when you think of a traditional occupational therapist, you mentioned it before, like, toileting, dressing, brushing your teeth, all those things. But, like, we haven't talked about that today. We haven't talked about how do you help someone get up from the toilet? And, like, that's very valuable to be able to do. But um, I think it's just become so much deeper than that. And there's so much more to it. And there's definitely still a lot of value in, in helping someone... You know, get in and out of their car and enjoy their life. Like, but that's the thing. It's it's usually always related to like being independent and enjoying your life, not just like getting rid of this or doing this because someone else says that you should.
1: Yes. And I think a lot of where we can really help too is if you have gone through the medical system and you're still having issues, Mm -hmm. kind of how we mentioned like, You get your X amount of visits with the therapist and it helps, but it's not really, you're not where you want to be yet, um, is where I think that's when that deeper dive can really be beneficial and where people are more open Mm -hmm. to that deeper dive too.
0: What are some of those issues?
1: I would say continuing pain. So, a lot of time when we see chronic pain that isn't necessarily injury related, a lot of that can be tied back to all of this stuff we talked about, that chronic stress. Um, Again, not saying that pain isn't real. It's very real and it's very limiting, but it's not necessarily coming from like, oh, your bone is broken and I need Mm -hmm. to fix it type thing. Our bodies are actually pretty good at healing themselves. I always like to kind of compare it to a broken bone where if you break your bone in six weeks, it's more or less going to be fixed. So for people to say like, oh, I had an injury 20 years ago, and ever since then, I've had this problem. That's more of, I think, where the mindset comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also been some cool research on when we expect pain, the same part of our brain lights up as us actually feeling pain. So even just our expectation that when Mm -hmm. I move, this is going to hurt, makes it hurt. Our brains are... Super powerful, and sometimes that works against us.
0: (laughs) We could have a separate podcast on that. Yes. (laughs) And that's why it's so frustrating to hear, don't do that, it's bad for you, this is going to damage you, you're broken, because we hold on to words, especially from trusted healthcare providers, and then 10 years later, someone is still very afraid and expecting this pain to happen, and I'm like, if you're doing this motion, your body's able to do it you have access to it like it's not a forbidden fruit and I just get frustrated because we have this power and I think it can be yielded really well and it also can be really dangerous um because of what we know about how expectations and what we think is going to happen and our perception those things play like one of the number the number one role in what we actually experience it makes, like, visualization really cool because, mm-hmm. you know, you can visualize the negative, you can also visualize the positive, um, but it's also, you know, nocebos and all of those things. Like, it's why I think <laughs> we just get frustrated when, when I see those things.
1: Yes. yep. Yeah, people hang on to what we say for sure. And things have changed too. So it could be we didn't know 20 yeah. years ago. So when I see people that say that, it's just kind of educating on, Letting people know how much power they have over their pain mm-hmm. I think is step number one because they just kind of resign themselves to it and again, like, oh, I'm just going to have this pain forever and this is what I expect and this is my life. I
0: heard <laughs> into this 20 years ago. Like, well, you know those things heal, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the bone can heal. Like that, you, you can heal.
1: Yes, we can heal. And that's actually one question I ask in my intake form is what Ooh. is your belief on your body's ability to heal itself? And that can just, I mean, it could be, that's crazy. I don't believe that. But that's our starting point, and that's fine. Yeah. So just educating on all of that, that we do have a lot of power.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. We are, um, our minds are very, very powerful. Yes. (laughs) I, again, like, I could talk for another hour about this stuff. (laughs) This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love it. How can a client or someone contact you and get started What's that, like,
1: so, the best way to do it is either via social media or my email is info at com. The first time I thought you
0: said nympho. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think we should put that in. Info. Got info, it. Yes.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> I am also on... <laughs> Instagram and Facebook as Summit Therapy OT and summittherapyot.com so any of those are ways to reach out to me and I have access to those pretty much all the time so usually within 24 hours I can get back to you and we can figure out what the next steps are amazing.
0: The access is a good and a bad thing right so we live next to our phones all the time Yes yeah. awesome Stephanie, thank you so much this is amazing Thank you for having me yeah, Everyone thank you for listening thank you so much for joining us everyone we hope you enjoyed this episode head on over to instagram find us at healthy charleston leave us a review on itunes if you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on feel free to dm us otherwise thanks again